You're listening to Wake Up Call. I'm your host, Christina Previtt. If we haven't met before, I was a divorce lawyer in New Jersey for 15 years. I'm currently the CEO and co-owner of New Jersey Divorce Solutions, a divorce law firm located in Edison, New Jersey. Joining me today for a roundtable discussion are attorneys Jennifer Armstrong and Christine Mattis. Jennifer Armstrong is a family law attorney with a solo practice in Toms River, New Jersey, practicing all aspects of divorce and family law. Christine Mattis is the owner of of the Mattis Law Group located in Toms River, New Jersey. Christine's practice focuses on real estate, estate planning, special education law, and special needs planning. We're here to talk about the challenges of owning and running a business, particularly a law firm. Thank you for joining me today, ladies. Excited to be here. Yes, thank you for having us. Of course. Thank you for coming. So I the, the first question that I have is, why did the two of you do something crazy like start your own business, particularly a law firm? <laughs> Good question, Jen. You start. <laughs> well, you know, I started my firm out of necessity. I was being laid off from the firm that I worked at. And I really, I started my firm in two weeks time. And I found that, you know what, why share in the proceeds and pay somebody else when I could be helping clients and helping people and keeping 100% of that. And so I really was scared, but you do what you have to do in the moment. And like I said, I started my practice um, in about two weeks time with less than $5,000. And I've now been practicing for 12 years out on my own. And it's been the best thing that ever happened. That's awesome. I got a clap. Thanks. Hopefully awesome. the mic picks Love this up. That. That, that's a great story. So for anybody out there who is afraid to go out on their own, and you guys know what that feels like because you've done it, it's scary. We've all done it. And right. you always worry, well, how am I going to do this? And what if I fail? And how am I going to get clients? And how am I going to make money? And what if I don't make money? And so that that wasn't even my situation, what you just described, but I can't even imagine. Sometimes you don't have a choice. Yeah. And so when you're pushed to do something and you're pushed out of your comfort zone like that, it can sometimes turn out to be the best thing possible and the best thing that ever happened. And this was that for me. Obviously, it did. Congratulations, because 12 years. Thanks. That's a long time. And what about you, Christine? So I grew up in a household. Uh, my parents were physicians, so they always had their own business. So I've always been surrounded with that. But when I was starting out as an attorney, I did join firms. and But it was always in the back of my mind. I always like to have my own thing, do my own thing. And my dad was always saying, you should open up your own. It's so nice to have your own thing. Always, He would always plug that in. So I was working with a bigger firm. Uh, and I'm going to tell you, it was around 2002. And then they folded. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? And I was trying to think what to do. And I remember calling my parents and I said, I I don't know what to do. They just folded. I got to make a plan. And my dad just says, "Uh, open up your own firm. And I kept saying, oh, that's – yeah, I hear you. I've been talking about it. And my dad goes, what is – and I remember him asking this. What is the worst that can happen? And I thought about it. And I go, yeah, what is the worst that can happen? I open it and let's – Let's just try it. And 15 years later, it's worked. Congratulations. And, again, best, and I agree with Jen. Best thing ever. That's best a long time. Yeah. So let me ask you this. So, and, and this was my experience, and I've talked about this on other shows. When you first go out on your own, at least for me, 
I don't think I truly appreciated that I wasn't just a lawyer going to practice law in a different setting. I was now a business owner, which means I have to run the business and get clients in and do marketing and sales and production and all the components of a business that really are completely separate from being a lawyer. Did you guys realize that or appreciate that when you really hung a shingle? Absolutely not. They don't teach you this stuff in law school. You know, we don't have that course about, you know, hanging out your shingle and all those things you're going to have to do. I think the common theme is, you know, you start off working for somebody else. You get an inkling. And I say an inkling because you never truly know what it is to run your own business when you're working for somebody else. But you get an inkling for what's involved. You say, you know, to yourself in the moment, thank God that's not me. I don't have to worry about the insurance. I don't have to worry about managing people. I don't have to worry about making that that payroll every week. I don't have to worry about all those things that a business owner has to worry about. You can just focus on your clients and the practice of law. But yes, when you do go out on your own and you do start that business and everything, you are wearing multiple, multiple hats. Oh, yeah. And you're right. I don't even think I thought of myself as a business owner. I was just, oh, good. I'm now a lawyer. I can do my own thing. I can work with the people that I like to work with. And quite honestly, when I first opened up, I practiced what everyone called door law. Anybody, anybody who came through the door, I'm like, yeah, because I can help you. I can help you. I can help you. Didn't realize, oh, you know, maybe we should have a system going. We should have a process going, things like that. But I have to tell you, perhaps all of us maybe had this, what made us do what we do is that passion and that drive. So that seems to be the base of what makes a successful law firm or even business, right? So you need to have that first. But yeah, I wish I was more in tuned about like, oh yeah, this this is a business. We should have a little bit more practice uh, in place, uh, a little bit more systems in place and procedures about it running as a business. And it took me a long time to realize, to realize that. I yeah. Now, you guys just coincidentally, we're all part of the consulting group, How to Manage a Small Law Firm. Would you say that you guys kind of figured that stuff out when you joined there? I think for me, I knew there was more that I could learn. I knew that there was things that I didn't know that I needed to find out about without like enrolling in an MBA program and going to business school. Yeah. So, you know, you know that there's things you're not aware of that you don't know and you're searching for a way to find that information while you're still PS running your business, living your life. And so, yeah, a, a coaching program has been a godsend to, to, to me. Oh, yeah, yeah, I agree. I remember it was late at night, and I remember that feeling. So I was 10 years into my practice thinking, is this it? Is this the best I can do? And I feel like I can do more. And why is it that certain other owners, I can feel that they're they're way ahead of me? And But what is it? What am I missing? So going through the Internet late at night, I remember it distinctly with that glow, my husband sleeping, and I'm just, just that feeling like, ah, you know, I need a solution. And then I came across certain videos from HTM, and I kept thinking, they just resonated with me. And I said, yeah, and, you know, how... Certain people would hem and haw, like, should I do this? I, honestly, yeah. I signed up on the spot. There was no hem hawing. I was like, yeah, I got to do this. Good I need for you. Help. Oh, yeah. Oh, I like seconds. that. Boom. That's the that kind of, it. that's like David Nagel would love that. I know you know who David Nagel yes, is. You do yes. too, right? I'm always mentioning him. I feel like maybe he should yeah. pay me like sponsorship. Sponsorship. Or I think he yes. should be sitting with us. I think so. <laughs> yeah, Ooh, that's a good idea. I'll have to invite him on. Um, but yeah, I think that was so a little bit about my story. I was working for someone else and. 
I actually see a lot of my old self and my associates now. And you guys can tell me if you have this experience too. But my attitude was like, I just want to practice law. That, that, that's what I was doing at the time. I was still learning. And then I got to a point where I sort of felt like I don't know if I need him so much anymore because I know how to practice law now. But for at least a, a portion of the time I was there, he was like my Mr. Miyagi. You know, he taught me how to wax on, <laughs> wax off. And, and I'm very grateful for that experience. But at some point, you don't need that so much anymore. And then my needs started changing. You know, I wanted to be more flexible with my schedule. I didn't want to have to always ask, like, you know, for vacation time. And can I come in late? Or can I leave early? You know, I'd be, I'd be like that person watching the clock. Well, I don't have a lot to do today. Do I have to stay till after five? You know, what? what? I just, I got real tired of that. And then I moved an hour away from the firm. Oh, so it really it. wasn't convenient anymore. And I remember asking him if I could work from home in Morristown part of the time. And he was adamant against it. And I was just like, okay, well, you know, I didn't like not having any control or power over myself and my schedule and things like that. And I kind of realized like, this is just how it's always going to be when you work for somebody. And then I had the dialogue in my head that you just described, Jen, which is, you know, you start doing the math in your head, like, how much am I billing? And what does he bill me out at? And how he gets what he gets how much money every year? And I only get a small fraction of that. And I think what you don't realize at the time, though, is you don't realize, well, you have to do things to get that, that money in and, you know, all the other stuff the you other have to do. All the other expenses, right? Called overhead. I don't know. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you don't think about that stuff at the time. You just think that your boss is making like a ton of money on your back, which really isn't totally true. Um, there's some there's trade-offs, I think, for being a solo or being working for somebody and being on your own. There are trade-offs. And there's plenty of people that I could fill these chairs up in here that would say, I want no part of it. I just want to go to work. I just want to practice law. I don't want to run a business. I don't want to be a rainmaker. So we kind of have like, our. I think our brains are just wired different as entrepreneurs to be able to handle all of those pressures of having a business. Um, but then when I went solo, I hung a shingle and I realized after a while, like, okay, well, what do I do for marketing? Because something Arjun has always said is that, uh, and Arjun's the owner of the consulting group, for those of you who don't know, he always says it's not enough to just be a great lawyer. Right. Right. And I think that was a wake up call for me 100%. when I went on my own. Sure. Absolutely. What about you guys? Did you, did you just, were you like the Pied Piper and all the clients were just, you know, rushing to your oh, firm? Oh, yeah. I had to like bang. I had to like uh, just put a lock on the door. No. Um, I did have a certain number of um, followers or a group of clients that followed me, which I was always grateful for. But what I know what was missing was marketing. Yeah. And I remember say, and I remember just being tired at night. I come home and I know I should go to this event and I didn't, and I wouldn't hold myself accountable. Right. And I remember telling to my husband and remember one year I said, you know, this is it this year. I I have to do more marketing because if I want to rise to a certain level. But again, there was no direction. I didn't know what marketing. Yeah. What do I do? What does that mean? I didn't even know what it meant. I just said I knew I had to do something. And then it was just so without the guidance, without any type of coaching or a mentor. uh, Honestly, it was a shot in the dark was so random. And and then you get frustrated because you're like, well, I'm doing all this work and nothing's happening. You know, but yeah, I think. 
Go ahead, Jen. I think Christine's right. You know you should be doing something. You know you need to be doing something, but you're kind of just throwing things at the wall, hoping that it sticks. You know, I was really fortunate in that when I opened my practice. I um, had an older attorney who was mentoring me. He was throwing me per diem work and everything. I mean, look, I ate that first year because he helped. You know, I had a little handful of clients, again, like Christine, who followed me and everything um, from my old firm to my new new firm and everything. But without those mentors and those people to help you and everything, it could be really hard. Now, this gentleman did no advertising, no marketing. He'd been practicing for decades. Everybody knew him. But when you were breaking out and you were trying to get your name out there, and if you don't have that background and know what you should be doing, you could waste a lot of time and a lot of money trying a lot of different things. Yeah. And then you start worrying that, you know, how am I going to keep the lights on around here? Because I need money coming in. Right. Mm -hmm. And you start to realize, too, that, okay, well, I have to practice law because I don't have anybody else here doing it, right? I mean, I, it was just me. I didn't even have a secretary when I started. Yep. But then I have to do all this other stuff, too. Yeah. So you're wearing all these hats, and I became very overwhelmed with all of it. Yes, Did you I guys? agree. I agree. And I think it was – I remember opening up on November. It was 2003 in November. By – well, I'll be honest with you. I was so lucky that the first three months, a paralegal from my old firm found out I was opening, and she was retiring, and she wanted to keep herself busy. So for free, she didn't charge anything, wow. sat and answered the phone because I needed wow. someone professional. Until this day, That's nice. if she asks for anything, I give it whatever she wants, whatever oh, she absolutely. wants. Marianne, I'll, her name is in – and I, I'm so grateful to her. It was so kind that I couldn't believe it. Then by March, that's when I hired my first employee, and that was part-time. She didn't have a computer. I just wanted to answer the phone because I thought a human being should answer. Yes. And I remember giving her magazines because I said, he'll keep you busy. Wow. <laughs> I remember that. I would stack up magazines for her so she wouldn't feel like, this is very boring here. You know? Because the phone wasn't ringing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So there's funny. a phone with magazines. I would bring it in every day. Like, hey, I got a new magazine for you. Oh, I love that story. I bet the phone rings now. Thank God. Thank God. Uh, Thank God. Yeah. But, it, you know... Right? You always have to work it, right? We never sit on our laurels. So we're always thinking ahead, trying to think of what are we doing today so that we can make that phone ring tomorrow, right? I think it's hard. I think that is the wiring of the brain of an entrepreneur is to not let things like that, like when the phone's not ringing or, you know, you're having a cash flow issue or something like that. You don't let that get you too down like we might freak out about it right but we don't let our minds go too well i guess well it didn't work out you know i did my best i guess i'll start looking for a job now i mean i can honestly say i don't really think i mean maybe it crossed my mind like well i guess i could always go look for a job like it was i've always known that that's an option but it was never a real option for me because i would just never want to go back to that again Absolutely. I think you have to pivot. And as an entrepreneur, you're just more, it's always, okay, well, this didn't work. What's next? You're just always keep it moving. Keep it moving. Keep going in the direction that you want. Don't let your foot off that gas pedal. Yeah, I totally agree. And you know what I've also learned? And I'm I'm still, we're all still learning, right? Yeah. But never taking these things as personal, right? So our numbers, um, feedback from clients, it's just feedback. There's no judgment. I think, and I, I am very guilty of this, I would put a feeling towards certain things. Oh, that's a 
bad number. Oh, uh, that's a good number. Oh, that's a good number. There's no good or bad, right? It's just feedback. And we just have to deal with it. But And I'm still learning, but I'm getting better at it. I have to tell you, there are times if I had to deal with the certain problems 10 years ago that I'm dealing with today, I probably would have a heart attack. I'd probably be on my knees like, oh my God, this is horrible. And I remember when I had my first employee and she had to go out on maternity. So it was just me and her. I remember going home crying to my husband. I'm like, what am I going to do? I only have one more breath. Just me. I can't do all of this. I remember crying. But now we have systems in place, right? We have a plan, plan A, plan B. And if it happens, I'm not going to go home crying. I'm like, all right. Then let's let's set up a new plan. Let's just set up. There's no good or bad. We're going to deal yeah. with it. No emotion attached to now, it. No, you cannot. I like that. Right? Because that causes panic. That And once you panic, that's bad. You start to not think. You start thinking emotionally, which I've always noticed for me, those emotional decisions are always... They're the worst. the worst. They're the worst. It's true. Like when you're coming from a place of panic or like lack, you know, that's going to fail. It's not going to work. I'm going to be poor. I'm going <laughs> to be applying for welfare. You know, whatever, wherever your crazy mind goes, oh, right? <laughs> um, yeah, you're not able to really think clearly. And I and I also think, and we've been taught this in, you know, with Arjun and the David Nagels of the world to, to have faith in. Um, not necessarily in a religious context, but just faith in yourself and the universe or whatever you want to call it, that everything's going to be okay. Yeah. You're going to figure it out. I mean, you can't just go home and, you know, sit on the couch and eat bonbons, but you're going to figure it out. Some stuff's going to work. Some stuff isn't going to work, but I, you're going to figure it out. I yeah. Agree. Worrying never accomplishes anything. And it's always, you're always going to be thinking about the worst thing that's never going to actually come to fruition. It's never going to come true. You know, our worst fears and the things that we worry about are not going to actually happen. So then no. you start thinking about all the time you wasted worrying yeah. about those things. And then you kick yourself for that. But when in actuality, you just got to keep it moving. There's yeah. A, there's this great quote about worry. And I feel bad. I don't know who quoted it. But they said that worrying is this mis- conception that you can predict the future. So, and I love that because I, I always, like that. I always tell that myself that. The more I worry, I said, how do I really know that's going to happen? So put that away. Put that away. But I, I've always noticed in myself and my successful entrepreneur friends like you that we're very confident, right? You have to have that confidence. Like there's just no way this is not going to work. And I'm going to figure a way out. Every problem has a solution. I've always felt that. Whatever it does. Every problem has a solution. And we always figure it out. We and it, always figure it out. It might not be the first solution that you think of. Like Oprah. We're full of quotes today. I love Oprah. She's got a lot of good ones. Um, one of them is that failure is just guiding you in a different direction. Ooh, that's oh, a good one. That's good. And oh, I like it that really one. is true. Okay, that didn't work. That means i got to try something different or have to do that differently. Yeah. Um, uh, there's another quote about worry that I really like. It says, worry has never solved a problem. Right. I love that. That is true. That is very, yeah. very, very true. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't mean we don't ever worry, though, right? I try to no. snap myself out of it when it happens. You well, give yourself that moment yeah. and everything. Have that moment, but don't sit in that moment. Don't stay there too long. So, Christine, um, did you say that you had partners before? I did in the way past. So I started out as solo. And then I'm going to tell you probably five years in, I had a partner, a wonderful gentleman, and he did mostly immigration law. Uh, but then it came to the point where, you know, I wanted to take the firm in a different direction. And so, you know, we parted ways very, very amicably, very well. Um, so 
it is very good to have a partner. Um, you know, I think it's got to jive. We basically had the model you you eat what you kill, you know, and it sometimes was difficult, right? Because there's certain expenses that you do have to share. And if you're not on the same page, it's, it's could be stifling and frustrating um, because I had started the coaching and he did not. So yeah, the issue is, yeah, and you really need to be on the same page. So as much as I wanted to expand and do things, there was a no on the other side. So that was another reason why, I'm, you know, I think perhaps I want to take it to a different direction. That's all, you know. But you So know, that was different. amicable? Oh, yes. Very, very, well, that's very. that's good. Yep. That's it. And that's, I don't like, I don't like stress. I don't like fighting. That's just me. I, <laughs> I used to do, God bless the both of you. I used to do family law and I realized I, I think we should all get along. So this is not going to work. <laughs> I know. You know, it's funny. I, I I was about to say, well, I hate fighting, too, yet somehow I am a divorce lawyer. <laughs> Don't ask me how that happened. Um, I, I will say, I had um, I have had family law cases in the very long distant past with Christine, yes. and she is a great adversary. <laughs> She's a great that. adversary because she doesn't like to fight. She's very practical <laughs> and, and everything. I appreciate that. That was very nice. And then I realized, this is just not for me because I can't sleep. I like to sleep better. Yeah, no, I think I can relate to that. I have to ask you, though, a little off topic. Why did you not become a physician? Good question. Because uh, I took chemistry in high school. I was like, wow, (laughs) that was my lowest grade. And I, to this day, I look at, I'm a nerd. I like to look at my old notebooks. Because I I have to say, my handwriting was fantastic. And (laughs) and I always look at it today. And I'm like, these are two different people. And I show family. like, You know who wrote that? That, It was me. Because they look at my handwriting like, wow, what scrawl is this? Again, another reason I should have been a physician. That's probably why how doctors start out, though. They start out with good handwriting. (laughs) I'll I'll tell you this, though. My father, physician... (laughs) Beautiful handwriting. He would write all the notes to school. My mom would tell like, oh, Christine's not well. You got to write the note because she's still read it. But yeah, after I took chemistry, I said, yeah, this is not for me. And then my mom was like, well, then in, why don't you be a pharmacist? I go, oh, that's worse. A pharmacist. Yeah. So nope, nope, nope. Not for me. Well, you just said something earlier about passion. I mean, whatever you do, and unfortunately, we don't teach kids this, so... Jen, I know you don't have children. Do you have children? I have two, yeah. I mean, I hope that we can start teaching our children to to follow their passions. We're, We're always so worried about money. And I get it. It's important. We all want money. But after following our John and David Nagel and doing personal coaching and that sort of thing, I really do look at it differently. I do believe that you can find your passion and you can figure out how to make money doing it. Yeah. But I think instead what we all do is we're so focused on money and, and survival that we follow the money. We go and where happiness we think, comes second. Yes. As opposed to being first. It's right. secondary. Um, have you guys, are you guys familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk? Yes. Slightly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been, yeah. yeah, So, you know, David's really into him now and I've been following him and that's, he emphasizes that all the time is finding your happiness. Yes. Not worrying so much about money, but finding happiness. So I'll tell you from our perspective, so I'm Filipino, Asian. So the big push is always higher education and, you know. If you're not going to be a lawyer, you're not going to be a doctor, one of those like whatever those professions are. So what's interesting is that so for me with my two kids, my oldest really wants to be a screenwriter, wants to be in the film business, you know. So and we're encouraging that. And she really seems to like writing. But you mention it to 
the other generation in my family, it's kind of like, well, that's a fun hobby. So anyway. Like, how is she going to make money doing that? That is always the question. Well, ask Martin Scorsese. I mean, I don't know. Does he He's. I'm with you. Yeah. I I don't know exactly what he does, but (laughs) he's in that industry. I know. You can make money. Yeah. I think so, too. And, you know, but I think also, don't you feel in anything we do, we want to make sure our passion is something that we can develop into a lifestyle, right, that we can sustain, or is it a hobby? So I have an example. So I had a woman who came to me who wanted to shadow me. She goes, I think I want to do your type of law, special needs, and if I can shadow you. And I go, that's great, fine. So the more we spoke, she was saying, yeah, I just want to do it maybe a couple times a month, and I just want to, maybe I'll help a couple people during the year, which is nice. But then in my head, I'm thinking, this sounds like a hobby. Like, how are you... How are you going to develop this and be the this, don't you think in what we do, you, you do want to be the best in that area. You want yeah. to be the person, You got to right? be all in. Yeah. I, you do. That's the key. That's the difference. You have to be all in. And wasn't the how to manage topic recently was a hobby versus a business? That's it. I mean, that's I it. guess the difference is a hobby. You don't make money doing that. Right? Right. I think some people, the, the, the problem is... You know, they, what do they say about entrepreneurs? You know, we're the ones doing things that other people don't want to want to do. And so if you think, you know, you want to be your own boss, if you think you want to make money and everything, that's great. But are you really going to put in the dedication and the focus and the time that it really takes to be successful at yes. it? Yes. You, and that's, I, again, where the passion comes in, because if your passion is just money, I think all these coaches are right. You, your passion cannot be money. That's not sustainable. The thing that you're actually doing has to be your passion. Oh, yeah. Because I think the moment something gets hard, the moment something that's really difficult, if you're passionate, you'd be like, yeah, I'm going to do something else. Honestly. Yes. Right? I think because it's right. so right. easy to just be like, woo, this is hard. Let's look up something else. Let's see if I can make a cat costume or something. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I can find some widget to sell on eBay. Um, no, I think that's absolutely right. But I, there, I, I don't know. I guess I'm kind of beating a dead horse. But I, I maybe because I'm older now, I, I, I want the money. Don't get, don't get me wrong. I like money. <laughs> But I think when you, as you age and you become more mature, I think you do start to focus a little bit more on well, how do I really want to spend my days? Right. Well, isn't it that big, that big question? What's your why? Why are we doing yeah. this? Right. That's really what should drive you, and that makes you go past, you know, work harder than others and think of other solutions. Then when when people think you're in the corner, like you up against a wall, you will find a way out because that why is driving you. That desire is like, oh no no, I'm finding a way out because. There's no other options. I, I'm i finding a re- reason how to get out of this mess. Yeah, and we will. Yeah. We will. You know, we will. Well, what do you guys like more? Do you like running the business or do you like the practice of law? I think that changes over time. When I was younger, I re- and, I, and I still really, really enjoy family law. I know that's crazy. But I... <laughs> do. I really do enjoy it. But um, I definitely enjoyed it more when I was younger. I think as you get older, your interests change. And if you have that mindset that you're always looking to grow and become more and be more challenged, I know for me, I have found, gee, I really like running the practice. I really like talking and 
trying to um, plan out that marketing and calendaring, what's going to be coming up um, in the next 12 months, 18 months for the firm and everything. Where are we going? What are we doing? That kind of stuff. And okay, yeah, now I'll go back and I'll draft this motion or I'll go back and I'll, you know, help help do this, that or whatever for a, a client. And I love the clients and I love working with them. But your interests just change as you get older and you want to grow and challenge yourself more. And at some point, you know, when you've done that, done, done all that other stuff and everything, I think it's possible that you just want to focus on other things. I think you need that intellectual stimulation. And for Absolutely. me, after a while, you know, how many times can you do a child support worksheet or a right. case information statement or, you know, an ESP memo, especially if it's just the ordinary garden variety divorce, it just becomes repetitive. What do you think, Christine? I agree. And it's true. You know, again, you don't know what you don't know, we always yeah. say. So as I was opening up my practice, I just felt as if I'm the best lawyer. If I know everything, the business will happen. Yeah. But the truth is I know so many more experienced, much better attorneys than I am, and yet perhaps their business is not as expanding as quickly as ours. And the reason is because you're right, Jen. You do have to evolve. And for me, I... I think it does start with me loving that area of law, especially special needs. You know, my desires, you know, twofold because I have two kids, my youngest born with Down syndrome. So because of that, that's the reason why. That's my why. I want other parents to be in a good spot and I want them to feel happy and peace of mind. So then that helps set my marketing what do they need? What do I need? What do I need as a parent? What I know they'll need as well. And that gets me excited. And then we do a lot more things to help them. And yes, it, it's under the category of marketing, but it's all about helping, right? Oh, they're going to need to meet this therapist. So let's do a workshop to help this, to educate them about this type of therapy. Um, oh, they need to know about their finances. So let me bring in someone to teach them about financing and see whatever it is. So it does start with that passion and then it evolves into well, how do I reach as many people as possible? That's marketing, right? That's marketing. And that's exciting to me. Like how much more I could expand my message. How many more people need my help and they don't know about me? That's That makes me so sad. I like that. I think that comes from the right place, though, because it's not coming. It's coming from a place of service, right, which mm -hmm. we've learned is what sales really should be sales and marketing, it's not coming from a place of, oh, I got to get as many people in here as possible and, and get them to sign a retainer because I need to make more money. I didn't hear that anywhere. I mean, obviously, you, we want to, we have to make sales or we don't, our Right, but you also need to be genuine. People will see that. Yes. If, if you're yes. just being phony and you're just trying I to agree. get, you know, people in the door, people will pick up on I, that. Yeah, I think people do sense that. I sense that. I sense that when I go out into the world, right? Are you familiar with Grant Cardone, right? So he's an author. Uh, one of his big books is 10X. Uh, but in it, he does talk about knowing that you're helping more people, you meeting as many people. It's a duty. You know, it's an obligation that you have these talents, you have these gifts. And to hide it or not to sure. try to meet as many people it's a terrible thing. It's it's a breach of that duty. So I've actually felt that, that, you know, what's happened in my life, there's always a reason. And now my reason is to expand my message and help as many people as possible. And when I hear a family 
who are going through a tough time because they have a disabled child and they didn't know about me, that's my fault. I, I do take it as my fault. Like, wow, why don't they know? How did I not reach you? That's bad. I, I do take it that way. And I, so that's my mission every day. How do we reach more people? How can we help more people? That's really what I do. I love your positivity. Okay. I need some more of that. <laughs> Touch my hand. <laughs> <laughs> What, so back to more of a business standpoint, what what do you guys feel like are the biggest challenges that you have just from running a business? I know there there might be a long list, but what are some of the ones you're dealing with now, I guess? I'm not dealing with it at present, but I will say that over the course of owning the firm, my biggest challenge has probably been managing people, managing I'm people and managing personalities and everything. Again, they don't teach you that in law school. And when you're focused on helping the clients and doing the the work and everything, that aspect of business ownership can get lost I'm with really quickly. Manager. I I am always learning and I really I have a hard time with that, right? Because my personality is, which is not good, I have a strong need to be liked. I like everybody to like me. So when I do notice things are not up to par or things are not well, I am not direct. And I admit that. And I'm learning to do that because I I place a lot of judgment on myself. And I think like, oh, now they're not going to like me. And, you know, but, you know, my mature self is like, okay, this is a business. We have to get something done. So so what if they don't like you, but we need to produce this situation? You know, this has yeah. to come to a level. So I find that very hard. I do, you know, and I think everybody has a hard kind of – everyone has their own little issues with themselves. So I know that's my difficulty. Um, but I'll tell you about an issue I'm having right now. I just told Jen, I have no heat in my office. So, you know, it's those little things that you, you hear about and – and it falls on you as the owner, right? Do you have a law firm administrator or an office manager? We have an office manager. So they do do as much as they can. But there's certain big calls that have to be like today where we felt like it's too cold. She wanted to tell everyone to go home, but she didn't feel she had – so that that comes on me. And I'm like – when I heard – when I started seeing the message, I'm like, oh, yeah, everybody go home. Go home. I mean, I don't want you working in the – Yeah, you can't work. But I get it. There's a certain – but – it still comes back to you, right? Come yeah, it back. does. It does. Even if you have a firm and you have all the systems in place that our John says you should have, and and I, he, you know, his goal, like I forget what he calls them, but there's some category of business owners where you should be able to leave your firm for 30 days, not check in, and come back, and everything is still, you know, smooth sailing. I don't know that that scares me. Yeah. Some yeah. things are going to pop up like this. This is a perfect example that Christine just shared with us with the heat. You know, I mean, are you going to write an office policy now when you get back to your office about this is what happens when you walk into the office and there's no heat? So there's only so many things you can pre-plan for. And it's those types of things that I think as an entrepreneur, if you have that mindset, you will take care of. You'll handle. Whereas that will – something like that would cripple some other – yeah. Lawyers and, and you firm know, owners. Even if you have the best law firm administrator or an office manager, there's just certain decisions they can't make. Maybe the heat, dealing with the heat is not an example, but there's always going to be something that they can't handle. So you're never really going to just be hands off. Right. I always joke around with my partner, John Knocklinger, that... You know, I want to be like Mark Cuban. Does Mark Cuban have to deal with this? You know, like if it was something small, like, you know, the why didn't anybody order toner for the 
For oh, the printer. Why are we so all much. sitting here with a printer that doesn't Love you work? you just said that because that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. Like I had to come up with a policy. This was many years ago uh, and everything. When you put the new toner cartridge in, you get on the phone and you order the new one now. But why do you need to tell someone that? And there's there are a million examples. Christina, we don't even have enough time to go over them all. I had to do a yellow memo and rubber band it around the toner package. So you had to look at the memo when you put the new toner into the copier so you'd remember to call and order the okay. new one. Yeah. Again, old staff no longer with okay, me. So I have wonderful nobody, staff now. I know. I, and, and every, st- I mean, you know, I love my staff too, but every, in myself too, I, I noticed certain things that would happen. I'm like, oh, so we're all waiting for me, which means we don't have a procedure. And, and then I go into tirade, this cannot happen anymore and we're going to now have to make a, you know, rule about this, you know, but yeah. So, but that's, and you're hoping then this leads the way to a smoother situation next time. Um, but yeah, my other question for both of you is, you know, again, as an owner, uh, I honestly hate working with budgets and metrics. I hate it. I just really do. I thought, hey, I'm a lawyer. I don't deal with numbers. I don't <laughs> so, have a problem with that. No, oh, I find it monotonous and it just, I roll my, oh, I find it so dry. I know it's important, but I, you know, when my, Bookkeeper account just starts. Let's talk about budget. I know it's important. I don't know what it is in me. I just feel like, Ugh. and I said, can't you all just do it? No, Here's I'm the numbers right there. I want. Here's I'm my right numbers. there with you. <laughs> my problem always is, is that I always think I have. Oh, I've got everything in my head, you know. And really, having it all up in your head is not enough. You got to get it down on paper. You yeah, got to get it in black and white and, and everything. Well, I want to go back to what you said, Jen. That your biggest, um, I guess, challenge is the management of people because that is absolutely always. That's I, that's probably my biggest weakness. Is I I don't enjoy it. I don't think I'm particularly good at it because I'm super direct. I'm, I was just gonna say I'm the exact opposite of Christine, <laughs> where I'm very direct and that can come across in a way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I would love that. Then you know no. Well, but it's not always bam. good. It's not always no. good because then your staff they all think that you're mean. Right. And you know. I, you know, do you yeah. know John Knocklinger? Yes, yes. So, you know, he's more like you, okay. right? So when we were both, now he's sort of, he's like the CEO now. So I'm dealing less with the people and he's doing it because he, frankly, he's just better at it. He has more patience than I do. When I speak to people, it's not that I'm trying to come across as nasty or rude, but apparently that's how it comes across. Perceived, yeah. And it's really not the best situation to be. And, you know, but then sometimes I think I will always accuse him of being too nice. And Good things cop, are dra- bad cop. And things yeah. are dragged out longer than they should yeah, be. Right? And it's yeah, like, I just love tell chances. them. I'll give you 20 million chances. I don't but, know why. <laughs> yes, but I do think, you know, ultimately the ideal is somewhere in the middle. And John's probably a little bit closer to that than I am. So because I have a partner, we can sort of pick our strengths and weaknesses. And there's some overlap. But I think we just got lucky that, you know, his strengths are what they are. And, and they're different from mine. So that we've just reorganized thing so that he's using his strengths in the best way and so am I. Um, but going back to the people thing, at at some point I started to wonder, you know, is it really that I can't rely on people in my office to just do things right, do it reliably, not have to micromanage, not have to feel like I'm babysitting? At some point you start to wonder, is this just the way it is running a business or is it that I don't have the right people working for me? 
Oh, that's a hard question. That's hard. Again, I think it's probably a combination of things um, because I I struggle with that exact thing. Is it me? Is it them? Am I providing the training that um, they should be having so we're not having these issues? I think we all second guess ourselves a lot. And I think that's where the struggle the struggle is. Again, I don't have a partner that I can bounce these things off of. So so sometimes it's trial and error and everything. Okay, this didn't work this time. So let's try it this time. But you also have to understand you're dealing with people with different personalities. And it's almost like you got to there's that, you know, book that they give a new couples and everything, the five love languages, you have to figure out what motivates them. How, how, how do they best learn? You have to also remind yourself, every, or at least I do every once in a while, that no one's going to, um, these things are not going to be as important to anybody else That's as right. much as they are to me. That's no one's right. going to love my firm or want the best for my firm as much as I do and everything. And so I think you're always going to second guess yourself. You're always going to, you know, think maybe, you know, how could I have handled that differently? What should I have done? At the end of the day, it comes down to, I think, um, you know, just try a balancing act and no two people, no two personalities are the same. And you just got to try, try your best. And something Arjun has said is that sometimes you can have an employee who's wonderful. They're a great fit. Everything's great. And then there comes a time when they're not anymore. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And you you don't know why. You'll never know why. For whatever reason, they're just not a good fit anymore. And that happens. And that's when you have to realize maybe it's best for everyone that you part ways. And that's a hard decision. But then in the big picture, if you realize it, they're being fr- they're frustrated, we're frustrated, yeah. we're both not happy, you know. Yeah. And, but I've always tried to make sure, have I done everything I can as an owner? And I always try to picture myself as a coach, right? So here's my team. And in my team, certain people have their strong points, right? This is a good runner. This person's a good um, person here. This person can, um, you know, pivot really well, can think quick on their feet. And am I giving them duties and tasks that are not fit for them? So that's not, yeah. fi- that's not fair for them. And yet they're thinking, I'm an employee. So I got to like, you know, put up with this and I'll just, I'll try my best, but you know, it's not working. So I always feel it's my job to recognize, like I may be assigning you things that I know that's not your forte. That's not your strong point. I'm giving a whole bunch of metrics and spreadsheets I need to work on and numbers are not your strong point. So let me take that away from you and give you something. Yeah. I read, I read an article in Harvard Business Review a while back that said, stop trying to fix everybody's weaknesses. Mm -hmm. It's not going to work. I mean, I'm totally oversimplifying the article, but it said, focus more on what are their strengths, Strengths. identify their strengths, and then tailor their role around that. Stop trying to fix everyone's weaknesses because we're going to have weaknesses, right? Mm -hmm. And unless the people want to work on those weaknesses and they want them to be better, it's really not going to work. Right. Um, and I always tell, I, I've told staff at different times, you know, if if this is not a good fit for you, it it's not a slight on anybody. You know, nobody has, to, it doesn't have to be, you know, it can be amicable, right? We can acknowledge that this isn't a good fit. You know, you don't like the way that we do things here. You want us to do things differently, but we're the owners and this is our vision and this is how we want things done. And if you don't agree with that, that's okay. Right. No judgment. Yeah. But you probably shouldn't be here. It's probably not the best place for you. Correct. But I think we have to also bear in mind that we can see that a little bit more easily than perhaps the employee can. 
and the staff member can. You know, mm-hmm. when we're doing our, um, you know, going through these minds, mindset um, improvements and yeah. trying to improve our mindset, we have to understand that the employee or the staff member may not be where we're at. That's true. So they yeah. are taking it personally. They are not, um, you know, maybe at the same place that we are and ready to accept those things. And that becomes then another Have you guys issue. done anything to help your employees address mindset? I have. I uh, haven't done it recently, but we did welcome. There's some local coaches that we have in around the Ocean County area. So if I've had them come in, we do assessments, see where their mind, how do they respond better to stress. So I would, they would get the feedback. I get the feedback so we can all work together. We haven't done it in a couple of years, but it has helped, right? And also help them recognize when they are getting stressed out. Because sometimes people don't realize you're just in the thick of it, right? Things move fast in all of our firms. And all of a sudden, you can feel the tension. And sometimes you just need to step out, step away. You know, you'll hear the voices elevate and you hear people getting short with each other. And I thought it was very useful with having this coach come in to help us with assessing each of our personalities, how we speak to each other, and how do we assess in ourselves when we're being more, I guess, in better terms, stressed out? And how do we deal with it? How can we better fuel this energy in a more productive way rather than shutting down and maybe procrastinating on something? So I thought it was it's very useful, and it's probably we should be doing it at least a couple, you know, once a couple times a year, really. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say we should probably do it more frequently. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you have to have people that are interested in that. I was just going to ask, how did the staff respond to that? Was well, that was something that was welcoming to them, or did they feel like they were being... Well, for me, somebody was I, being critical or way, yeah, analyzing. Great question. Um, they know I do a lot of development for myself, right? And I think we all agree your personal development has to exceed your professional development. So I've always said that. And they know when I go away to these seminars and workshops, that's the reason. So I'll come back and share some of the information. So when I decided that I'd like them to, to do this, I had mentioned – it was to help each of us communicate better so we can work better together. So that's how I presented it. And I think if they had that mindset, okay, great way how we can work together in a better way, that's how it started. So that's how I did it. Um, I don't think I got any resistance. If they did, they didn't tell me. So, yeah, But like I said, uh, it's been a while since we did it. So I do agree that perhaps it should be done more often. Do you have forums like for meetings or something like that where the employees can give you feedback about your systems and maybe propose a new system or tweak something that's not working? Do they do that? We have meetings. Both of you. Staff meetings. And we'll have meetings just about policies and procedures. And so we would bring about um, a, a new introduction to a new system. And then we give everyone time to try it. And we tell people, if you don't like it, you have to keep doing it and come back with you know productive feedback of why it didn't work and what can we do better. Instead of saying, like, I'm not doing that. It's not working. You know, it's, yeah, then or, it's all chaos. Or saying, because we were getting this for a while, we don't like that or, you know, that doesn't work. Just complaining about it. And John actually came up with this. Okay, well, I don't want you to just sit and complain about it. Propose an alternative. A solution. Yeah. Be solution-based. Yeah. So we got away from that for a little while. And I've already, you know, put on the calendar that we're going to be doing those more regularly every week in 2020 and everything. And including the staff in the discussion, they're the ones doing 
doing the policies and procedures. Yes. These are, li- I, I keep telling my staff, these things are living and breathing. They're going to evolve. It's not a one and done here yeah. and everything, but it's always good to revisit those things, get their input as the ones actually doing and performing those tasks yeah. and everything. And if they feel like they're a part of it, I think it's more more accepting on their end. Yeah, I was just going to say that I think they feel valued if they're part of the process. Knowing, of course, that you guys are the ones that ultimately make the decision. Um, I think sometimes, and maybe I'm not always giving the staff enough credit, sometimes I wonder, though, is it or the policies they want designed to make their jobs easier or is it to, you know, serve the client better? Because we've been focusing a lot more emphasis on customer service. I forget who said it. There was some coach that said something like, sometimes you can solve one problem in your office that solves all the other problems. And so I'm kind of testing that out. And for me, I think it's customer service because we've heard a million times that the best marketing is good customer service. Make your clients happy and they will leave and say good things about you. Right. So... Everything in our office is now sort of looked at with a very careful eye towards how can we make this better, a better experience for the client. Um, and obviously, we don't want to create more work for the staff. If there's a way to be more efficient, then I'm all for it. Also, because being more efficient helps the client. So, um, you know, you, you, Jennifer, you had said something really early in the show about no one's going to care about your business the way you do. And right. when I was an associate, again, I see myself sometimes in, in my staff, you just, you're sitting in a different chair. You know, you're not really looking at the whole picture. You know, when I was an associate, I sat in my chair. I sat in, in my in my office and I did my legal work and I didn't have to worry about collections and getting new people in the door and paying the rent. And if yeah. there was a cash crunch making payroll, you know, I didn't know anything about all mm-hmm. that stuff. And I do remember thinking to myself, well, oh, God, I hate this client. I just wish that we could fire them or I just wish, you know, they wouldn't pay their bill and he would fire them. <laughs> and now my thought process about that oh, yeah. is very different. Oh, yeah. But I have to say I- I've been very, very happy with the team I have because so far they seem to be so concerned as much as I am. I'm always amazed when I get lists like, Christine, the sp- person's a little bit behind in their bill. You know, we got to catch up with them. I'm like, well, how much more? I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. You know, or I love, oh, this is a really, really good client cuisine. Let's send them something because, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And they didn't have to do that. You know, they could just be like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess they were good. I don't, oh, yeah, that bill's kind of big. Yeah, yeah they I could say, not my problem. Yeah, you that's know, it. I'm not the owner. So I've been getting that type of feedback for a while now, which I, and I'm, and I do always think like you do. It's like, oh, they didn't have to do that, you know? Or they'll say, I'm going to stop in over the weekend, Chris, because I, I forgot so-and-so really needs to know about this information. And I'm always thinking, oh, you don't have to work on the weekend, you know, for that. But that's nice, you know? Yeah. And that's dedication. And that's, that is the thing, I'll be honest with you, when I'm looking for new people to help us in the firm, 
you know, loyalty, dedication. You can't teach that. You can't. And sometimes you could feel it. And then when I see that in a, in a, that's probably why a lot of people, I have a hard time being that direct because I do see those goodness. I'm like, oh, they are so loyal and they are so dedicated. They, they care. They care about the client. So, all right, so let's, let's go over the procedure again of how to make copies or, you know, whatever it is. You how know, to I make copies. You know, I can't How to buy a new toner. How to buy a new toner. So anyway, that's, that's always in the back of my yeah. mind when I see that, you know, I yeah. give a lot of, I give a lot of credit to that, you know, that yeah. holds weight for me when I see that. Well, we have a good team now too. I mean, we've learned by trial and error, you know, and we take full responsibility for it. If we ha- don't have a good team, you know, we take responsibility that, you know, maybe we could have hired, you know, that position better. What did we not see in the interview process? How can we make the interview process better? Um, one thing we've learned is to have several interviews. We used to do one interview and we would just hire on a gut feeling and that was it. And that really doesn't work most of the time. Yeah, no. What about you guys? I I will tell you when it comes to, um, hiring and I did this the last two rounds of hiring that I just did. And I have wonderful, wonderful staff right now. I mean, the difference that it makes when you have wonderful staff, it's like night and day. Really, it really, truly, truly is. And so these last um, two rounds of hiring that I had done, I had taken some advice from fellow HTM members, um, particularly um, Rob Solano, who has a blog and he wrote a whole blog about hiring and the hiring procedure for um, his wife's law firm and, and everything. And one of the things that I had never thought to do was this 10-minute phone interview. When you get those resumes, scan through the resumes, spend no more than 60 seconds, you know, schedule a 10-minute phone interview with them first before you bring them in for a face-to-face because you're going to know in less than those 10 minutes Mm -hmm. if the personalities gel, if this is somebody you even want to waste time on bringing them in. It was a game changer. I mean, seriously, the 10-minute phone interview. Well, our our positions, most of them, even the attorneys, I would say, they need to have a a certain phone presence. And we realize that, too, that sometimes when you meet someone, you're so focused on their face and their physical appearance. You're not paying a lot of attention to the voice and the way they project. But we started doing that, too. We started screening with a phone call. Yeah, we start out also with a questionnaire, like 10 questions. Um, I like that. And a lot of it is... We want to find out about them, but it's all about how detailed-oriented are they and do they follow directions. So, you know, not to give out hints, I'll change it up, but a lot of times we'll say, you know, here's the 10 questions, but start with number five and answer, you know, like, you know, and and put in, you know, and this is who you email it to. And if they're emailing it to me or someone, we're like, I don't even read it. We don't even read it. I I agree. We do that too. We'll say put, you know, something in the subject line. And we'll say all caps mm-hmm. and, you know, very specific about what they need to send us. And we put in the ad that if you do not follow all of these instructions, your your resume will not be considered. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing how many I, people screw it up. I was just going to say I'm surprised by the amount of people that don't follow the instructions and won't do it. Yeah. I've gotten emails where people say, I've seen your questions and I refuse to do it. And here's why. <laughs> okay. You're going to be a good team player. You know All what right. I hate yeah. too is when they call the office and go, oh, I saw your ad, but where do I send everything? And they start asking all these questions and you're like, it's in the ad. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's that's a telltale yes. red flag that you are not coming in here to make my life easier or the client's life easier. You want things done for you. Yep. 
to make yes. your life yeah, easier. Yeah, no, I, I can't, I can't yeah, babysit. That's, that's a no I'm not going to yeah. babysit. So anybody yeah. who can't follow those very simple instructions, yeah. there's no way they're even getting an interview. I can't deal with it. And the people who we've hired who've done it, fantastic. So it, it, it follows through. You know, I've noticed the people that maybe I may have strayed from my own script and say like, oh, I think I, I'll go with them. And, you know, and then I'm like, oh, this is not working. And those yeah. who stuck with my procedure, I'm like, it works. It you know, works. You know what, too? I think maybe years ago, I and and I won't. I don't want to speak for John. I know I had this problem, but sometimes there was a little bit of fear hiring somebody that was maybe more capable than you. I remember there was an office manager we interviewed. She was highly capable, very like type A. And I remember looking at John and say, I think the first thing she's going to do when she comes on board is fire us. Suggest <laughs> <laughs> you're the one. That- go yeah so we didn't hire her but you know i think we've come a long way and and we we re- we recognize good people and we want them to be better at mm-hmm. at certain right. things than than we are but that's a certain maturity level you're right yeah. you're absolutely right like you don't want them coming in and be like oh my god what a mess here <laughs> yeah, i yeah. hear you i hear you i know so yeah there's still some ego and some pride there that sometimes you have to you know get out of the way oh for sure um well, anyway, thank you guys for joining today. I think that's about all we can cover today. I feel like there was so much more we could have talked about. So maybe I can convince you guys to come back another day. Always. I'll be happy to. Always, always. This was fun. It was. A it lot was. Of fun. It a lot was. of fun. Very good. Thank and we you. didn't even badmouth anybody. <laughs> the next show. Yeah, next time. <laughs> next time. So tune in next time. Thank you for listening to Wake Up Call with Christina Previtt. See you next time.